our Old Test New Testament reading is from Galatians 3, uh, verses 10 through 14, and you can find them on page 556 in the paper Bible. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We've got um, a few New, New Testament, Old Testament readings. They're all in Deuteronomy, beginning in verse, chapter 11, verses 26 through 28. And uh, you can find that on page 89 in the paper Bible. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but to turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations on the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. For it is, it is not in heaven that you, should, that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that you may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, 
I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God and obeying the voice and holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we are finally wrapping up our study on the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the things that we've been saying all fall is that the book of Deuteronomy is a covenant document. It is a treaty. It is a covenant between a king, God, and his people, Israel. And we know this because there are lots of documents like this. If you look at around the ancient Near East, you find a lot of documents that follow this very same pattern. I told you way back at the beginning of the fall that they all start off the same way. They have this historical prologue, a preamble, where the king declares who he is and what he has done. And that's summarized in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then the next section of these covenants is the stipulations. It's the rules. It is what is expected in order to keep this relationship with the king. And that's summarized in the Ten Commandments that we've been studying the last few weeks. It's also uh, elaborated on in chapters 12 through 25 of this book, where there's all sorts of, of smaller laws. But then at the end of these covenant treaties is a section called the blessings and curses. It is all the good things that will happen to you if you keep these commands and all of the bad things that will fall upon you if you break them. And that's where we are today. That's what we are closing out with in this study on Deuteronomy, the blessings and curses of God's law. And this can be a little bit confusing. As we read through these things, as you listen to Manny go through this list, it can be complicated to understand. So the way I want to approach it today is just to ask four simple questions and to answer those questions. First, I want to ask, why can't we keep the law? Secondly, if we can't keep the law, why does God give it? Thirdly, do these blessings and curses apply to us that we just read about? And fourthly, what hope do cursed people have? So why can't we keep the law? If we can't keep it, why does God give it? Do the blessings and curses apply to us? And then finally, what hope do cursed people have? So that's the first point. What, why can't we keep the law? Now maybe you're thinking, wait a second. What do you mean? Why is the first question, why can't we keep the law? Didn't we just read exactly the opposite? Wasn't that our text? Didn't you hear it when, when God said in verse 11, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither it is, is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say who would ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. And in your heart so that you can do it. Right? Isn't that what it says? 
It says it's near to you so that you can do it. Well, if that was the only thing the Bible had to say about keeping the law, then maybe you could devise that that is exactly what God intends, that we would perfectly be able to keep this law. But there are much more frequent passages in Scripture that are even clearer on this, like Psalm 14. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So Psalms tells us there's not a single person who does good, not even one. Then if you go to the book of Romans, Paul talks about his relationship with the law. And he says, I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead so he says he goes on for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for I do not do the good I want but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing and if all those things seem far away, if those jumping around seems like, hey, why are you going to go there? You can also just look about, I don't know, 10 verses before this, when God is laying out his plan for the people. And he doesn't say, if you break these commandments, he says, and when you break these commandments, and when all of these, come, these things come upon you, when the blessings and the curses come upon you, you will call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God. You see, even in Deuteronomy, even in this book, God knew that his people would not be able to keep the law. So what he's saying in our passage then is not that the law is easy to keep. No, he is saying that the law isn't rocket science. The law is not advanced calculus. It's not some distant, mysterious thing that somebody has to go and decode and help us to understand. He says, no, the law isn't easy to fulfill, but it's plain. The law is clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. He says that law is close to us. It is in your mouth. It is on your hearts. Do you understand what that's saying? He's saying that there is an instinctive quality to the law of God. That deep down, you already know it. Even the least religious people here, even those of you who maybe this is the only time you've been to church all year, maybe in your whole life, Even the least religious people in this room know the law. You don't need a pastor to tell you that you should be a better neighbor. You don't need a pastor to tell you that you should be more sacrificial with your time and with your energy. You don't need a pastor to tell you that the pursuit of money and comfort ultimately winds up empty. Well, God says... The reason you know those things already is because he has written his law on your hearts. 
Okay, here, here's a little bit more of what I mean. Scripture, it says that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, let's, let's say that. Everybody say, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Scripture says that is our purpose. The first commandment. Oh, here's the test, guys. What is the first commandment? Does anybody remember? (laughs) No other gods before me. The first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. We should not put anything at the center of our lives other than God. But here's what I mean by the law being on our hearts. Even if you had never heard that before right now, even if you'd never heard the Ten Commandments before in your life, you already know that there is nothing in this life that can fill the void in your life meant for God. Right? None of that junk that you just bought at Good Friday filled the void, did it? None of the relationships that you have ever been in have filled the void, have they? Nothing satisfies you. No no job or title has ever satisfied you. No amount of money. Nothing. That's what you know already. Nothing can take the place that belongs to God. And that's the point. That's the point of this passage in Deuteronomy. It's not that the law is easy, but it's that the law is simple. You already know it. And yet... You can't keep it. It's right there in front of you. God says it's in your mouth and it's on your heart. And yet you break it. And yet we break it every day in the things that we think and the things that we speak and the things that we do. Right. That was the question that we just read. We break it daily in thought, word and deed. Maybe you hear that and you say, I don't know, not me. Maybe maybe you break the law every day, but, but I don't know about me. You know, when we first started this series, Chad sent me a little YouTube clip from Family Feud, and it, it's in that last, first of all, let's just, I think, is it time we can admit that, that Steve Harvey is definitely the best Family Feud host ever, right? Those clips are just awesome. Like, I can, I can watch YouTube for hours if it starts giving me a feed of Steve Harvey doing Family Feud. But anyway, so, so it's the end, and it's that point where they ask him the questions really fast, you know, and one of the questions he asks is, how many of the Ten Commandments have you broken this month? And the woman rattles off seven real quick. And you know how Steve Harvey does, right? He just stops everything. And he's like, seven? He, you know, he's, he's rolling. The whole crowd is rolling. He's like, seven? What are the three you didn't break? Who did you murder? And then he reveals that the number one answer was one. Most people surveyed said they broke one of the Ten Commandments. And you know, Chad and I were talking about it, and that's probably because it sounds snobby to say zero, right? But that's what they all thought. We think that keeping the Ten Commandments is easy. We think we should be able to keep them all, or at least nine out of ten. But here's what Jesus says when he tells us about keeping the Ten Commandments. He says, this is what it really means. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles 
do the same. And here's the summary he gives. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's how easy Jesus says it is to keep the law. Now who's going to tell me they've done that this month? Who's going to tell me they have been perfect as our heavenly father is perfect? No, we cannot keep the law. We can't keep the law because ever since the first human beings rebelled in the garden, ever since they rebelled against the law, we have all, you and I, have been born into a state that the theologians call non posse, non peccari. It means not possible not to sin. That's where we live. We live in, a, in an existence where it is not possible for us not to sin. In other words, we are all sinners. There is no one righteous, like Psalm says, not even one. We do the things that we want, don't want to do. Like it says in Romans 7, we can't keep the law. Why can't we keep the law? Even though it is plain and clear and simple? Well, because our natural state is one of sin and rebellion. Our natural state makes it impossible to keep the law of God. So that's, that's the answer to the first question, why we can't keep it. But then the second question comes up. Well, why, if we can't keep it, did God bother giving it to us? I saw this meme online a few weeks ago, and it's Jesus knocking on somebody's door. Have you seen this one before? And Jesus, he says, let me in. And the guy on the other side, the, other, the guy on the other side of the door, he says, Why? And Jesus says, well, so I can save you. And the guy on the other side says, from what? And then Jesus says, well, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't open the door. <laughs> now, is that really what the Bible teaches? Is that really our message? Is it that God gives us this standard so that he can then punish us for breaking it? No, right? Because that meme, that picture, leaves out a very crucial factor. It leaves out the guilt of the guy on the other side of the door. It's not because God is cruel that he's knocking on that door. It's because he is he's just. He says he will not let guilty people go unpunished. You see, it's not the law that makes us sinners. It is our sin that makes us sinners. The law is given... So that we can see reality. The law is given so that we can see this painful truth of who we really are. The law, it shows us on one hand the holiness of God. And on the other hand, it shows us our unholiness, our guilt as we stand before him. And so that means that the law is not some kind of mean trick. But instead, the law is merciful. The law is merciful because it shows us the truth. It shows us how things really are. Does any, did any of you guys ever watch American Idol? It's not on anymore, right? But you can watch one of the other singing shows. There's a hundred of them. Any of those ones that show up that start with the open auditions, right? Where anybody who wants to can come. And inevitably, if you're watching those episodes where they do the open call, there's always that one or two people that are just awful, right? They're just terrible. And yet, for some reason, they think they're great. And they show up thinking they're going to be like the next Beyonce or, or Bruno Mars or something. They're ready to belt out this fantastic song. And they start to sing that first note. 
And it is just, oh, it makes you cringe, right? It's painful to watch. And they get up there and they embarrass themselves. They humiliate themselves. The judges make their lives miserable. And it's all because, apparently, none of their friends and none of their family felt like it was a good idea to tell them, you're not that great of a singer. You might want to watch out. You see, it is not loving to hide reality from people. The law is loving. The law is merciful because it exposes to us the true state of our hearts. It tells us that we're not as good as we think we are. Right? Spiritually, we are like that person going to the audition for American Idol, right? If you ask, are you bad? You'll probably say, no, I'm pretty good, right? I'm not, I'm not a bad person. Nobody, if you're going to ask, are you a good or bad person, you're probably not going to respond, actually, you know what, I'm rotten to the core. This week, uh, Charles Manson died. Did anybody see that? I'm sure, as you were reading those news articles about this famous cult leader, this mass murderer, one of these horrible people in history, did it ever cross your mind, you know, we're not that much different. I'm not that much different than him. No, of course you didn't think that, right? We all thought, that's a bad dude. Not like me. I'm glad I'm not like him. But when we come to the law honestly, when we start to perceive what God has to say, what his standards really are, the law starts to change our perspective on ourselves. Go back to our passage. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. We're in Deuteronomy 30. If you don't have a Bible, take one of these. We'd love for you to have one. It's our gift to you. Um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. And your length of days. You see, what God does for us in the law is He shows us a new way. He shows us a path to life. And that path is simple love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, This is the way to be a good guy. And that this is the way to live in the presence of a holy God forever. And the way to do it is perfection. That's the reality. God is holy. And because he is holy, he cannot abide our sin. It is not helpful for him to sugarcoat that. It is not helpful for him to try to protect us from that truth or to hide it from us. By showing us the truth in this law, scripture is showing us mercy. It's showing us the path to life. And when you hear it, when you contemplate it, even if you, you've never heard it before, you start to realize that the law of God teaches what deep down our hearts already suspected. The law says to us, no, you're not crazy when you feel like nothing is satisfying you. You're not alone when you find yourself struggling to live up to even your own expectations, let alone God's perfect, holy expectations. There is a reason why you feel like you are never good enough. 
at at being a spouse, at being a neighbor, at being a friend. The law tells us, it tells us you feel unsatisfied because you are sinful and separated from God. You feel like you aren't good enough because you aren't good enough. But the law comes in and it shows us we're not missing the mark just by a little bit. But we are are missing it by a long shot. We're missing it by a lot. So that's why God gives us the law. Even though we can't keep it, he gives us the law to show us the truth. That we are separated from him by our sin. And then that brings us back again to some of the details of this passage. The third question. Do these blessings and curses apply to us? Okay, so the law, it shows us how holy God is and how sinful we are. It shows us that we can't keep the law. And the way that Moses lays out the choices, he says that we have the choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. And if the standard is be perfect, well, I think it's fair to say we've made our choice. We have chosen death. If that's what we were supposed to do, we have chosen death. So what does that mean? We have chosen the curse. So... Do these curses really apply? I think that's a pretty fair question, right? Look at chapter 28. If you start to read these things, if you start to consider them, you you come to realize pretty fast that some of them seem pretty weird. (laughs) They don't seem like they they fit in our context in in 2017 in Roxbury. It says, for instance, uh, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Or verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against him and flee seven ways before them. Or verse 31, uh, your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. I mean, I'm sure that's bad, but is that really something you're worried about? Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. If you read those and you think, those don't seem like they apply to me, you are correct. Those are not relevant to us. Those were given to a particular people, the people of Israel, standing as they looked into the promised land, making this covenant with their king, heading into this very specific situation. And you know, if you've read the Old Testament, you know how the story goes. They fail. They turn to idolatry. They worship other gods. And eventually, these curses fall on them. They are overthrown by Assyria and Babylon. And the covenant that God made with this specific people at this specific time was broken. It's over. So why do we care then? Why have we spent so much time over the last few months looking at this book if it really doesn't apply to us if this is a covenant that we belong to well it's because even though we are not in this specific covenant we are in the same predicament because long before God ever made this treaty long before God ever spoke to these people at the edge of the promised land God spoke to all humanity in the garden And the terms of the treaty he made then, the terms of that first covenant were far less complicated. 
It was, obey me and you can dwell with me. And this law that we read about, all fall, the Ten Commandments, it was nothing new. This wasn't new laws that he invented for this period of history, but this is the same thing. It has always been God's standard. The Ten Commandments show us who God is, and God never changes. The covenant that we are in, that covenant with all humanity says, if we want to have the desires of our hearts met, if we want to be in the presence of a living God, then we must be perfect before the law. Okay, so maybe if you're just hearing that for the first time, you might say, okay, well, I can do that. Now that I know, I'll try. And even if somehow you managed from here on out to live a perfect, sinless life, which I know you're not going to make it until noon, even if you managed to do it, there would still be no cure for the sins you've already committed. There would be nothing that could erase the guilt that is already true in your life. Here's how Paul puts it in Galatians. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things in the book of the law and do them. When he says that, he is not saying we are under these Deuteronomy curses. He's not saying we need to watch out and and make sure we protect our ox and our donkey and things like that. No, he is saying that if we break the law, (laughs) we are under the curse of the covenant with Adam. The law that says disobedience leads to us being separated from God for all eternity. Everyone who relies on the law is under a curse. Everyone who looks to their own ability to be a good person is under the curse. Because we are not good. We are not good according to the real standard of goodness that you find right here. And that's devastating news. That is the bad news we find in the book of Deuteronomy. But you know, those curses that sound kind of strange, the ones that we can't really relate to, They're just shadows. They're just the worldly representation of a much bigger curse that we all face. Those little curses that we just heard are the curses that point us to the true curse that's coming. The curse that all of us sinners will eventually get. The wrath and the punishment and the eternal separation from God. So when you ask the question, do these blessings and curses apply to us? The answer is no, but yes. Yes, they do. Because they show us that in the big picture, there is punishment. There is punishment for our sin. We are all under the curse. So, the last question then. If we are all under the curse, what hope do we have? What hope do cursed people have? You know... The truth is, this passage that I'm about to read is really why we're preaching this whole series. You might think of the last 11 weeks as the preface to me getting to read this part. (laughs) This is what gets, is so exciting when we understand the blessings and the curses and what's going on in Deuteronomy. Here's what it says. We just read the beginning. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul tells us we're all under the curse. But then he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who is hanged on a tree. Okay, so cursed be everyone who hang, is hanged on a tree. That's one of those random Deuteronomy laws that we've read over the course of the last few months. And Paul picks up on that little thread to explain the heart of the gospel. Paul says that the basic message of Christianity, the basic message of the cross, is that Jesus has taken the curse of the law for us. Amen? Jesus has taken the curse of the law. Actually, that's not what it says. It doesn't say Jesus has taken the curse of the law. It says what? Jesus became the curse for us. Second Corinthians, he says, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God. We are hopelessly guilty before God's law. We break it daily in thought, word, and deed. But the gospel message is that God made Jesus the curse so that we get the blessings. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin on himself. And that means for every one of us, when we repent of our law-keeping, when we stop trying to be our own good people, when we finally admit that we are not good enough, Jesus gives us goodness. Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Now, I have been a Christian for almost 25 years now. And I don't think I understood the first thing about my faith until I understood this idea. You see, the gospel doesn't simply offer you forgiveness of sins. The gospel message is not simply, if you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven for being bad friends and neighbors, and you're forgiven for putting other things at the center of your life instead of God. The gospel is that if you trust in Jesus, you are united to Christ. You are hidden in him. It's not just that your sins are forgiven, but your sins are covered. And not just those things that you did a long time ago before you knew Jesus. But all your sins, past, present, and even the future sins that you haven't committed yet, they are all covered by the blood of Christ. He has not simply forgiven the bad things, but he has become the curse for us. He has swallowed the cup of God's wrath and drunk it down to the dregs. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel means that we are free from the curse. We are free from the penalty of the law. We are free from the judgment of the law. If you trust in Jesus, then that means these laws, these Ten Commandments, they no longer have the power to condemn you. Because Jesus has already taken the condemnation you deserve. 
that whole chapter of curses, that's just the tip of the iceberg compared to what Jesus actually did for you on the cross. All those curses that God said would come down on the people of Israel, that's just a small fraction of the curses that he poured out on Jesus for you. He has taken the curse and he has permanently given us the blessings. That's the good news. And so that means for us, for any of us who believe, then the law of God takes on a totally different light. As we have seen each of these past weeks, as we've looked at these different laws, when you see Jesus, you realize that these laws are not a burden that's too heavy to carry. But these laws are a spotlight. They are a spotlight meant to show us the glory and the majesty of our Savior. The perfection and the holiness and the brilliance of our God. In Jesus, the law actually isn't a curse. It is a place of hope. The law gives us hope for a day when one day we're going to be with him. When one day we won't have to be tempted to turn to other gods anymore. Where we we won't have to wrestle with our, our lust. Where we won't have to wrestle with our anger or our stress or our anxiety anymore. It gives us hope for a day when we will no longer be in that place that we said was non-posse, pakari, right? Not able not to sin. But instead we will be non-posse, pakari, which means not able to sin, right? That's our hope. That someday we will live unable to sin because we will be upheld by him. We will be in his glorious presence. We will be fully satisfied all the longings of our hearts. In Christ, the law gives us hope. And in Christ, the law gives us freedom. You see, the only people who can actually follow these laws, the only people who are able to love the law of God, are those who have been freed from its power. The only people who can follow the law are the ones who do not fear the curse of the law. The only people who can take it seriously. The only people who can listen to its demands are those people who know that the law cannot save them. You see, in Christ, not only are we freed from the penalty of the law, but the promise is, if we trust in Him, His Spirit comes in us and enables us more and more to stand in that place where the Israelites stood. To stand before the law and to choose life instead of death. In Christ, we can hear and we can repent and believe the gospel and obey. Not because it's what we need to do so that we can earn the blessing, but because we have already been given the blessing and now we are being transformed for eternity. And so, as we wrap up this series this morning, as we close out our study of Deuteronomy, that's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you just to consider the law one last time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Have you done that this week? I want to invite you to this table to meet the one who has.